as people are coming in, uh, I'll introduce myself. First of all, I'm Adam from Clue, and welcome everyone to the Compete Network community for our first AMA with two of the best folks I know in Compete. Um, I'm, I'm excited for this. We got 30, 30, 40 minutes with them. Any questions you have, drop them in the chat at any point during the call today. Um, we've got a ton, a ton of questions to get to as well. So we've got almost 50 right now. So I'm, I'm going to be picking which ones are my favorite, but we have a lot to get to. Also, before we jump in here, a couple of housekeeping notes. Yes, this will be recorded. It will be up on our podcast feed. Um, Laura, you can drop that podcast link into, into the chat here. Uh, it'll be on the podcast feed. It'll be on YouTube. Ben will do his stellar recaps as usual for it. And that will all be over for you tomorrow. So if folks aren't able to be here for the full 45, that's all good. We will send the links over to you tomorrow. Also, if you haven't heard yet as well, we have Clue's annual flagship event, the Compete Week, coming up as well, November 8th and 9th. If you haven't checked it out yet, go to... Oh, look at that. Laura's ahead of the game here. Drop in the Compete Week link as well. We've got two days featuring some of the best in Compete. We've got some top revenue leaders, CMOs, CROs, all on the topic of competing in the market today. Um, personal favorites why well, i don't have favorites but there's a couple great sessions coming in um specifically around hubspot or building battle cards across every stage of the deal cycle it's i was i was chatting with their team and seeing a couple of the things they're doing there's going to be a ton of awesome sessions for anyone that is standing up running compete win loss all of the above so make sure to save your seat for compete week as well it's a blast if anyone's been there before they can vouch for it with that all said, you don't want to have me here gabbing for minutes on end. Let's introduce the two folks that you actually came to hear from. First of all, we've got Gal Torn, the CI team lead at JFrog, coming in all the way from Israel, 8 p.m. Gal, thank you for making Hello. the time today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be here, even in the evening. I love it. I love it. And... We also have Dylan Derso, the CI manager over at Autodesk. Dylan, thank you for joining as well. Thanks, Adam. Glad to be here and uh, excited to join you all for a quick little lunch break discussion. A little lunch break discussion. All right. So let's let's waste no time here. We've got, like I mentioned, as folks are trickling in here, we've got about 50 questions to choose from. So my my very formal tiering list of which questions are the best, depending on what I feel like this morning. Um, we're going to go right into it. The first question, and Dylan, I'll, I'll toss this one over to you, is one that's common with folks, especially starting off and compete, is how do I get updated competitive intel from the field? We have our assets like battle cards, but they're not helpful if they're not updated with the most accurate information. So how do you keep that connection and remind teams in the field to pass along anything and everything that they're hearing? Yeah. So there's a lot of ways to, to kind of address this, but I think it, and I think it's important to call out, there's, there's no magic bullet. Um, but I would say it all starts on just asking. You have to, you have to put yourself out there and encourage um, people in the, 
in the field, the salespeople, the customer success teams, everyone, you have to ask them to contribute. Um, but I think part of that ties into once you, once you ask them and kind of get their engagement, you also have to demonstrate why they should be sharing that information with you. Um, and part of that might be showing them like, look, you guys gave me this information. Here's what I did with it. And then showing them what you did with it. Um, the other thing that I really like to do is um, applaud people and reward them. So some companies have internal reward systems or they, you can, it can be as simple as just tagging someone in a Slack post or tagging someone in an Intel digest and giving credit where it's due for people that shared information with you. I think that, you know, that creates a snowball effect that is, is really effective at getting others to want to participate as well. A lot of the times people's managers are going to see that they're being called out as participating and it just makes everyone look good in the end. Yeah, I fully don't agree. want to pass the gal there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I fully agree with everything Dylan said, basically, uh, specifically the rewarding <clears throat> of people. I think people like to be noticed. And um, another way that we try to do that at JFrog is we have uh, this competitive ambassador um, program uh, where a few passionate, super passionate people about compete uh, from different departments, specifically customer facing teams that bring in the Intel to us and we meet periodically, uh, but also have communication throughout the quarter just to catch up on, on new Intel and things like that. So I, I found that very helpful for us. And uh, also we do periodic listening tours. So I go out to, uh, when I'm in the US, I meet with the US teams. In Israel, I meet with the Israeli teams, uh, try to meet with as many teams as possible and the different uh, account uh, management teams, uh, different account tiers and get the most uh, up-to-date up intel from them basically as well. What's uh, what's this ambassador team look like? Like, what's is it? Is it a large crew? Like, how are you? And you mentioned there's like sort of like quarterly cadence, but also kind of regular touch points. Like, what does that look like in terms of getting the most out of uh, a tiger team or ambassador team you got there? Yeah, it's still uh, starting out. We haven't done it for long um, because it's quarterly. It feels um, like a longer cadence, uh, but uh, it's definitely been helpful. The teams are. We have some people from sales. And we also have people from our solution engineering team, which are the more technical focused people who have the more technical deep dives with the customers. And um, we basically have um, a dedicated Slack channel where they feed in their intel or ask questions, or I sometimes ask questions. Like I'm right now, I'm interested in a specific new domain that we're looking into. Is it coming up? Are customers talking about it? I can ask them and I have that direct channel to them that is a channel to the field in the end um so that's been that's been helpful what as well when you i think dylan you mentioned something off the hop there there was when you when you received this information this intel showing them like here's what i've done with it like what does that look like what's an example of how you share back out with these teams like hey this is where I, what i'm using this intel for here's how i'm incorporating it yeah, so I think it's taking advantage of the different communication channels you have. So Gal mentioned um, Slack channels and things like that. So if I know that an account executive has told me, like, look, we're seeing this this pricing out in the field or we're seeing this new feature um, that's competing with, you know, something that was previously a strength of ours, 
it's showing them, look, okay, here's where I put that in the battle card. Here's the, here's where I put that in the, um, in the like landscape report. Here's where it applies to our feature matrices that we're creating. Um, and here's how that information that you shared is being used and seen by people across your company. So it's not just a, a me to you conversation. It's you, you shared this with me, I corroborated it, and then I put it in front of hundreds or thousands of people um, that are also taking advantage of it. So people, they want to help, right? So I think um, people like um, feeling helpful and like um, contributing to competitive intelligence. So it's, it's, um, it's really all just, just about demonstrating that value and how you're using it and showing them that you're giving them a platform to contribute. I feel like it's a unique situation for you as well, Don. I'm not sure the for folks in attendance today, like what size company they're working with, but you're you're at a large company, right? So like scale and being able to build those relationships is is you really have to put a plan together there as well. Yes, definitely. Um, it can quickly at a large company, you know, like Autodesk, you can quickly be drowned out by other things because there's constantly reports being published from other teams and things that are kind of related to CI, but not dedicated to CI. So you really have to kind of, um, you know, establish your footing to stand out. And I, I will say a company the size of, of Autodesk, we, we already had a very well established um, CI program that I stepped into as well for the most part. Um, so I didn't really have to create it from scratch or anything like mm -hmm. that. So we had a very active community of people that wanted to share information um, I know that's not going to be the case for everyone. I've been at organizations where that wasn't the case, right? So I think you have the approach there of working with the, the field team and getting that information and then demonstrating the information really varies from you know company to company. Like I mentioned, we got a lot of questions here. We actually got one in from Agnesia that I'm going to get to in a second here. But I, Gal, I want your take on this one that we got before um, that we chatted a little bit offline. I want your take on this because this is something that's come up all the time is AI, AI, AI. And so <laughs> from, from your perspective, what AI is actually useful versus what is kind of hype right now for you in your role in Compete? Absolutely. So first of all, I think most of us still don't trend, uh, tend to trust ChatGPT and the sort uh, for like deep analysis and um, actual text writing. I do find it helpful to start off, start off writing um, a topic uh, or for some tweaks and maybe making text a bit better. Um, but what I do found, find useful is, so um, a lot of um, websites like review websites now are starting to do summaries of their reviews. Uh, Clue has that feature specifically as well. Uh, summarizing all of the customer reviews from G2, from uh, TrustRadius, for instance, and uh, highlighting those insights um, instead of you going through and reading all of those uh, reviews yourself. I've also seen platforms doing call transcriptions or uh, highlights from uh, like earnings calls from your competitors, stuff like that. That's been very helpful for me as well, um, being able to surface insights a lot more a lot faster and not having to go through everything as well as the general sentiment of that um, um, call or transcript basically. Inch oh, we got a follow up here from Pierre on the AI side of things. So which AI tool do companies use to be distribute 
CI internally respond to simple questions. So he's looking for something that can generate responses based on our, on our CI content that would be include. Yeah, <laughs> we're feeling that right now as well. Um, uh, as, as AI develops and as more technology is coming out around it, people's expectations are becoming um, bigger as well. And, and that makes sense. Uh, definitely, that's something that we're trying to work on internally. We haven't found a vendor that does that. Uh, like my dream, and um, uh, I've been talking to Clue about that as well, is um, to have people type in uh, like a natural question and for Clue or any other tool to surface that the best information for them. Um, but we haven't found anything that does that currently. Uh, I want to. I want to get to. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing your name correctly here, Ag Agniska, because I got to take your question if you're if you're joining us 6 p.m. for your evening here. Uh, Agniska asks, I would love to hear hear how both of you are communicating your intel, your insights with the product and executive teams, and then the follow up to that is, how do you adapt that content aimed more so at the sales teams? Yeah, I can jump in on this one just to, to start. I think, I mean, it, part of the answer is in the question, right? There's there's clearly a different way of communicating sales or product or executive team, and you have to be willing to cater your information in the report structure, or I, I use report in a very general term here, but a report structure to those different audiences. Um, so the product team probably not going to be viewing your battle cards and you just have to acknowledge that right um the executive team most definitely not going to be viewing your battle cards so you have to acknowledge that and then understand okay what opportunities like do we have any existing reports that i can um model that i can model a ci report after to communicate the findings to the executive team i will say something we've had success with is pulling information that i've created in battle cards but just repackaging it in different ways for an executive like landscape report. So it's not necessarily creating something from scratch. It's taking what I have in existing battle cards, reorganizing it. Um, so right, a lot of copy paste, but then adding, you know, additional layers of context to make it usable for the executive team. Um, they're more likely to consume something that's in a report than they are a battle card in Clue. Um, the product team, massive consumers of win-loss, right? So if you mm -hmm. can understand how, like, push your win-loss reports to them and just acknowledge, like, my when I engage with product, I'm going to focus on these reports. I'm not going to focus on, you know, these resources that I've created for sales. Um, they're not going to be interested in that. So maximize the their, their time consuming your reports by giving them the information they want. So with product, I focus on win-loss, things like that, less on battle cards. Um, but it doesn't mean... Yeah, it doesn't mean you don't communicate with them just because that's not where your your kind of like bread and butter reports are. On that on that side, the product side, especially with win loss, I'm I'm interested in Gal. Maybe you have a take on this too. But when you're sharing win loss reports or win loss findings with the product team, what's that balance like between using this to inform them, using this for here's like my recommendations or the buy recommendations? There always seems to be a kind of a push pull between compete and the product team in terms of their roadmap, because obviously product teams have so many inputs on where their roadmap should go. So what's that kind of balance like in terms of informing, recommending, and that kind of partnership? 
Oh, I definitely feel free uh, to recommend to the product team. Um, I think that's because I've also been at JFrog for four years. So that's been quite a time and, and I've, uh, I'm a trusted partner at this point. Um, uh, but uh, if I wasn't in that situation, uh, I would probably find the balance in, um, I, I understand it's a, it's, it's a tough, uh, they do have a lot of inputs and they do have a lot of things to uh, consider. So definitely just maybe have meetings with them, uh, start out with having a meeting to present that win-loss and then have a discussion instead of um, actually bringing recommendations um, and just show them uh, the customer. What we do that might be helpful in this situation is that we combine uh, qualitative and quantitative analysis in our win-loss. So bringing out customer quotes from uh, calls, uh, recorded calls, and showing them exactly what the customer said, that has a lot of impact, uh, showing them the pain the customer is feeling, and then you can get their uh, attention and maybe get your recommendations in there as well. I, I let's let's go down the let's go down the win loss rabbit hole here for a bit now because we got a ton of questions and uh, I know both of you are both very passionate about the win loss side of things, so. First of all, how do you get execs engaged with your win-loss memos? So I think there's kind of two pieces to this question. If I'm reading between the tea leaves, through the tea leaves, whatever that saying is. Um, there's like sort of maybe the format, the structure of how you get them engaged, but then also what are some of the things you're doing from maybe like soft skills in terms of getting time on the calendar, making sure this stuff is sticky, making sure there's actions taken from it too. So Dylan, I'll, 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 I'll toss this one over to you with about three open-ended questions to answer. Yeah, so I think, I think this all actually starts prior to even beginning kind of the report structure, the report um, compilation. It, it gets, you get, in my opinion, you get executives involved by involving them when you're scoping the project to begin with. So if your win-loss research or your churn research or whatever is, is focusing on priority questions directly from those executives, they're going to be much more likely to want to read that report or attend that presentation that they know is answering the questions they had to begin with. But if you're not involving the executive team in the scoping of the project, they're, you know, you're just, you're hurting your odds of them even consuming it, of them wanting and looking forward to, to reading that report or watching that presentation. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean I have to be sitting down with our, our CEO or the head of, you know, your business unit to ask them questions one-to-one. -one. It could be, you know, someone one level below them or two levels below them that regularly interacts with those executives and knows and has insight into what their highest priority questions are and their, the questions they need answers to in order to kind of do more strategic planning or operational planning. Um, so I would argue that it, it starts even before... Um, your report is done and um, packaged. The other thing I would say, um, what I found is every organization, for the most part, tends to have their own standing meetings, um, and whether that's monthly or whether that's quarterly. Um, and most of the time that includes space or encourages space for, for guest speakers. Um, so you have to be comfortable asking to take up that space and be a guest speaker in those settings. Um, most of the time, people are going to say yes at least once, right? So you kind of got to nail it that, that first time. Um, but that's a massive opportunity to, to get in front of 
um, an executive, but also, you know, some of their senior reports as well, or just their entire organization. Um, and that, that again, once, once you've succeeded in that one time, it, it, they're going to invite you back in the future next time you have a report published. Um, so yeah, that's where it starts for me. Has your experience been similar, Gal? Absolutely. I uh, second everything Dylan just said. Um, we actually do periodic meetings that are targeted at, at a specific competitor uh, that we, in which we just have a cross-functional discussion about one competitor. And that includes our executive team. Uh, so we have a combination of uh, people from different, uh, someone from marketing, someone from sales, someone from product, R&D, uh, a combination, but also uh, the executive team. Um, and then that's an opportunity to bring the win-loss uh, status against that specific competitor or a more a broader win-loss status to them and get everyone's attention. So that's something that we do. And those types of meetings help um, or usually we get a lot of action items to do after them. Um, and then there's a lot of action and a lot of activity following them to compete better uh, across the company. I, I know. Just, I, oh, sorry. Go add on, one additional thing. So I think yeah, sure. I'm, I'm trying to like cater a response to, to everyone, like different <laughs> size companies and things like that. So if, if you're in a company where you like the idea of you sitting down with an executive or a senior, one of their senior reports is just like unheard of. I would be willing to bet that most people are at least going to have access to some type of annual planning document um, that expresses the company's goals or the business unit's goals. And you can use those types of um, resources to build in and incorporate those questions and those key goals and objectives into your win-loss research and um, that individual scope of that particular win-loss project. Um, so that might not be straight from the, you know, the mouth of an executive, but it's probably coming from the brain of an executive in some, in some way or form. So you're, you're kind of mirroring or, um, yeah, like using their inputs to kind of drive the win-loss research, which will ultimately feed back the, the insights, kind of the information answers you receive are to those questions, those objectives, those priorities that senior leadership are prioritizing. I've got, yeah, exactly. I've got, oh, I've got a good question here for Samantha. I'm going to jump into one more win-loss question and I'm going to circle back to Samantha because it's a bit of a pivot, which, uh, which I love. Also, I see there's a couple of our resident double checkers in here. Um, Robin specifically is who I see. Um, feel free to drop in the chat, Robin, any win-loss expertise as we, as we go in here. Um, and folks, if you, if you see Robin, just shoot her a message. She's got a wealth of win-loss knowledge as well. Um, I'm, we're kind of going a little reverse engineering here on the win-loss side because another question we had was more so around the, the structuring so how do you structure your priorities and your win-loss kind of interview process and research process? That's a good question. Gal, do you want to start with that one? Yeah. <laughs> Can you repeat the question, Adam? How do you, here, I've got, I got so many here. They're all, there's a mixture of them, but how do you set up your priorities and then your win-loss kind of interview or research process. Um, some folks are also mentioning in here sort of like a template for win-loss. How do I do something that's replicable? Um, any good suggestions? Yeah. 
Um, I have to admit that we're still starting out our win-loss interview process. Uh, we're mostly relying right now on uh, recorded calls, sales calls, basically, for that quant qualitative analysis. Uh, we do want to start doing more interviews. And uh, one of the things that we're doing right now is trying to hone in, instead of just going out to customers and asking them, why did we lose this deal? Uh, we're going to go backwards or in a reverse way and try to find out where we're losing and um, uh, to who. And then from that, start to like hone down on that area or hone down on like a more, um, a more specific uh, category instead of trying to go out in all directions, if that makes sense. So what we're doing right now is interviewing our sales teams, uh, going to the different teams, uh, some in uh, MIA, some in APAC, some in the U.S., and basically getting input from them. Who do they mm -hmm. feel that, like they're losing to? Who do they feel comes up more? And then we'll try to validate that with uh, interviews and with the quantitative analysis. Dylan, it sounds like there's, it's this, and you mentioned on the previous question, maybe it's the, the better question is these learning objectives. This, like, how do you establish that, that side of doing win-loss? Because you mentioned in the other bit is like, you need to set this up before you even think about delivering content to your execs and, and, and product teams. Yeah. So the, the learning objectives, I think it, it all starts there, but you, before you just go out and start interviewing people, I think it's really important to, to want to understand like the existing resources you have. Right. So if you're a company that is willing to invest in, you know, double check by clue the support there, or if you're a company where you have to do it on your own and kind of bootstrap it, or if you're, a company where you can do some type of um, internal interviews, but also maybe talk to channel partners, right? So kind of get a in-between of that external, but not necessarily internal. Um, so it all starts with identifying your resources, but then you also have to identify who do you, who do you want to talk to? Like what, who are you trying to, what questions are you trying to answer to begin with? Um, if your questions are all focused on, you know, that your largest customers, as far as like dollar value, then you need to make sure that you're talking to customers that can address that. Um, I think sometimes when we run, you know, with uh, a closed loss or closed one report in Salesforce, we, we kind of just look at all this data and we're like, Oh, we want to talk to all these people. But then once you start hearing, you start getting some of those interview recordings or you start to see those interview results and you're like, Oh, this is great, but this is not what the goal <laughs> of our entire project was, was going after. Um, so I think, you know, it starts the, starts the objectives, then identifying the segments of who you need to talk to, but then also understanding how many people do you think it takes to, to get, or how many interviews is it going to take to even get to that answer? If you set out hoping for 30 interviews, but then you find out, like, look, we, we have pretty definitive answers here on after 10 interviews, then, you know, use, use your resources to, to go after another question. Um, but it's really going to vary by by company and the resources you have. Um, we're we're fortunate in that we can kind of do a really large scale win loss, um, but it's really going to vary. For sure, and there were quite a few questions around like structuring your your results and sharing that out to the execs. Ben, if you want to drop that win loss exec template as well that we built alongside the double check team, because I know probably a lot of folks in attendance are looking for something like that. Um, we could drop that one in, check that out. Um, cause I want to pivot to, we're going a little away from win loss now. Um, and I love this question from Samantha is 
let's let's rewind the clock to when both of you were starting off in the world of compete. Um, Samantha says that she's a product manager. She's at a company that's never had a product manager before or even battle cards. So she feels like she's playing catch up. Um, any recommendations starting from scratch? And maybe more specifically, if you could rewind and do it again, what would be something you do differently kicking off compete or in inheriting a compete program? That's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> so first of all, um, let me start with the second question. Um, what I would do different, or actually, can you repeat the first question? I'm sorry. It was, uh, well, Samantha was saying, I'm starting from scratch. I feel like I'm playing catch up. What with would you do differently? Together. Yeah. What would you do differently now if you were inheriting a program or starting a program from scratch? Yeah. So a uh, quick tip for, for uh, the best thing you can do in the, at the, the starting point is ask the salespeople that are already there. Um, if they've been there, if, if you're the first product manager, they've probably been selling. Um, I assume they've been selling before you've, got, you've gotten there. Uh, so ask them who they've been seeing, who are the top competitors, like the top three competitors that come up the most. And then focus only on those as a beginning. Um, get a few points, uh, advantages or strengths and weaknesses about those top three. And then you'll have a really quick win or a, an approximately quick win uh, to get you started. Sales teams and product teams will start using that. And then you can start building out the rest. And uh, I think that's also the thing I would do differently is go, um, <clears throat> go a bit wide instead of deep and um, uh, check more boxes and not like give something, but not the full picture. I think that's a better approach to give a quick win instead of um, a full competitor profile for each of them. That takes a lot more time. Dylan, what's, what's your take on this? What, what, what would you do differently if you rewound the clock? Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, and Gal mentioned a lot of really great things, but it, I think it starting the thing I would just reiterate and kind of build upon is is starting with a, a small victory. So ch chasing mm -hmm. a small victory before you go after, um, you know, all the answers to all the questions, right? Demonstrate the value in a very specific instance. So say you have 20 competitors, but if you can demonstrate what you can do regarding just one competitor, um, maybe the highest priority competitor, or maybe the one that you have them maybe it's not the highest priority, but you have the most information about, demonstrate how CI can impact um, your win rate versus that competitor or how CI can help, um, you know, improve seller confidence versus that competitor. Um, even if you're not necessarily winning more deals, but at least your, your, your sellers are more confident. Um, chase, chase that small victory. And um, once you have, you know, one example of success, People are going to want to engage more. You're going to be able to tackle more. You're going to be able to ask for more resources to support um, to support that, and um, you're you're going to find yourself with with a program that's an actual program at that point, right? Not just a you know one specific project. Mm. So if you're allocating your time, if you're if you're in Samantha's shoes here, there's there's kind of reach out to your sales force, your sales reps to start with, to get that kind of anecdotal qualitative what's on fire right now, and then demonstrate value with whatever the key priority is there. I'm curious as well, Gal, because you mentioned, 
I wouldn't say it's a different approach to Dylan, but you did mention sort of maybe a bit wider, whereas Dylan seems to be kind of honing on focus on that one competitor, focus on some value there and then snowball effect. Is that, am I, am I reading that correctly compared to maybe where you're saying like go a little bit wider? I think it's, uh, we're saying something similar, but the going wider would be my second step. So mm. I'm saying, um, as the first step, go to the sales reps, ask them what they've been hearing uh, from the field. Then you have your maybe top one, two, three competitors, maybe three might be a lot at the first uh, go, but get some value, some type of value out there. I would go with um, probably improving seller confidence, like Dylan said. Uh, that's a really big point. Once you get sellers invested in what you're giving, then because you've already given them not a full battle card, but even a few points that they can share with a customer uh, versus that key competitor or, or those three key competitors. Uh, and then after that, build out, um, um, I would build out more, yes, a, a broader approach rather than um, a deeper approach. If I were doing it again, just to um, get, I think, get quicker value out there to the field. Um, mm. Yeah, that's that's my feeling today. That's I think that's topic that's that's like salient that's relevant right now to getting the value out to the field early because if sales are your first champions, your early kind of advocates, they are on a quick cadence. Like I mean, different companies have different deal lengths, but relatively speaking to other parts of the organization, like sales have quicker needs, faster needs. They'll they'll let you know that too. Um, exactly. So I. And on that on that note as well, I think you're when you're kind of trying to eat the elephant one bite at a time here, what's your prioritization? What would you do first? There's another relevant question here, and it's going to kind of dovetail into some other ones that folks uh, have asked here. But with that said, how do you start to kind of establish a clear outline of what we will do and what we won't do as a compete team? Like, that can be that can be a difficult conversation, especially when you're trying to start to build buy-in and demonstrate value, right? Are we talking uh, time and um, effort, or more ethics as well? I'm I'm think it's maybe like the time and effort piece, if if it was a bit more relevant to the semantics. But if you have something on an ethical side as well that you want to add in for folks that um, you you think is like a definite. Do, do or do not be doing this, like drop that in there too. Yeah, sure. Um, so first of all, in terms of uh, time and effort, I always say to, um, this sometimes annoys them, but I, I say to our sales reps, you're not the competitor's sales reps. You're not supposed to know every bit and bite about how the competitor's product works. You're supposed to know the general uh, gist of it and you're supposed to know uh, it's, uh, advantages and weaknesses, but you're not supposed to explain to the customer um, exactly how it works versus our product. I uh, advocate more for an approach like know some things, uh, but we can't be expected to do a deep dive on each and every competitor's product and all of the bits and bytes and how it works behind the scenes. So I, I put that as a very clear um, um, kind of border uh, for what we do and don't do. And uh, in terms of ethics, um, I just, uh, I, our approach is do, or my approach is to do everything transparently. 
Mm -hmm. um, if you want to, I don't know, download a competitor's um, uh, white paper from their website, do that with your own name. Um, they do that the same with us. So it's just like a more open approach. And instead of hiding, I don't like to, there's a lot of gray areas and I try to avoid those. I don't like them a lot. Dylan, what about yourself? Yeah, so for me, I, I try and just upfront with everyone about when, whenever I get a chance and a platform to explain, like, here's who we track, here's who we don't. I make sure to tie it back to, like, who's impacting our revenue. That That's what it comes down to. That's who we're going to be prioritizing. Um, and most people should have some way and companies should have some way of tracking who is impacting the revenue, whether it's it's win rate. Um that's a that's a good one that hopefully you have um, your win rate win rate versus specific competitors. Share that with um, a sales rep. They ask like, well, why don't we have this person included? Say, look, we, we face them once a quarter or once a year. Like, we I just have to prioritize, you know, the competitors that we're coming against more often, and and that's how we're doing it for now. You know, maybe we'll, we'll put them we'll put them on tracking for like alerts and things like that. But as far as creating content for that competitor. We have to prioritize who's impacting revenue, um, but leave the door open, right? Um, so the other thing I say, um, if it's a very niche competitor, I'll say, look, we don't, we don't have, I don't have the bandwidth to do that right now. But if we can crowdsource some information, so if we can, you know, get a get an email chain together, get a Slack group chat together of of people that have faced that niche competitor, if we can get others to contribute then we can mm. crowdsource that information and get, address it much quicker than what I can do on my own. Um, now, I know you would think we would do that for every competitor, but, um, you know, that's just not, not the reality of the situation. So that, that's a really helpful way of tracking even the ones you don't want to. The other thing that I tell people is if it can be solved in a Google search, it's probably not a good use of, you know, competitive intelligence's time, right? Um, if it can, I can find the answer in 30 seconds. Um, just encourage people to do the same, um, obviously in a very polite and nice way, but <laughs> encourage them like, look, this is, this is not the best use of our time. For sure. Especially if you have existing content, self-serve kind of apparatus in place as well. Um, this is okay. This is interesting as well in terms of what you will, won't do prioritization. I think it might dovetail. I know we're, we're coming up on time here. So Anyone that's live, I obviously would love to prioritize your questions. Not that the other questions aren't great too. I've got a bunch. So with our last five minutes, if you've got any questions, drop them in the chat. If not, I've got one that's similar to this, like what we won't do, we'll do prioritization. And it's come up a couple of times. So let me pick one of the questions. But essentially, it's um, getting your exec team on board. So how do you sort of get them on board to recognize the benefits of what your compete and win loss program can and will have for the business? And how do you get them on board for like this kind of long-term process? Uh, so that, that's, that's the question here. And if you have an example, cause someone else put getting my company to acknowledge, we actually have competition and it affects our business. So I'm not sure if either of you have had your career that hurdle to overcome too. Um, but firstly, yeah, that exact side of the, the coin, Gal. Uh, yeah, this actually connects to something that I wanted to mention in the previous um, uh, question as well. Uh, we do, we have something that we call a competitor scorecard. Uh, basically, every month I look at a few um, variables 
uh, I can share a blog post about it later on that I did in a different platform. But basically, it helps prioritize uh, with a, diff a few different variables like win loss, um, how many times they come up in uh, customer calls. We have a way to track that as well uh, through Salesforce. Uh, what basically what the impact is on the company. And uh, we show, we actually make a ranking of the competitors and then we can show them actual facts like this competitor is taking X amount of revenue from us. This competitor uh, sales is hearing about it all the time. They need answers. We're giving them the answers. This is our value. So that helps a lot in both prioritizing, but also showing we really need to take care of this. This is where we're bleeding right now, um, stuff like that. But uh, aside from that, I, I'm lucky to have not had to overcome that hurdle, really. Um, JFrog has always understood, the, the leadership team as well, always understood the importance. And uh, that's why they brought me on very early, I think, uh, compared to other companies. What about yourself, Dylan? Yeah, luckily I've, I've been fortunate as well to only be part of companies that, um, you know, understood and already appreciated the value of competitive intelligence. But um, with that said, I think there's always always more engagement that, that could be done. Um, I know Clue puts out a ton of resources on, on addressing executive engagement. I would say it's a, from what I've seen, it's the thing that you, you all talk about the most um, because it is so important. Um, so whether find opportunities whenever you have those, you know, your existing, whether you have a standing meeting with executives or whether it's getting invited into, um, you know, a team's meeting or an organization's meetings, um, find an opportunity to add in some of those snippets about why CI matters and why CI matters um, to them and what it can do for them. Even if that's kind of not exactly the goal of what, what you were talking to them, say, look, I understand I'm here to talk about this, but I wanted to quickly mention you know, what CI can do for you. Um, incur get opportunities to um, get in front of kind of like a entire company-wide audience or business unit-wide audience to and get a session focused specifically on how CI can, can impact everyone. Back it up with numbers, back it up with stats, right? That's what's going to be most influential is showing the dollar amount that you're losing to a specific competitor or showing what your dollar maybe most importantly, what your revenue could be if you want a couple more deals versus a specific competitor. That's the type of information that, that's going to resonate with executives, not this is the feature comparison of us versus them, or this is our pricing model versus them, or this is, you know, et cetera. I think it's, it all comes down to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. That anchors it. That anchors the conversation, right? I think understand. It's, it comes down to that understanding your audience. What matters most to them speak in their world, what's going on in their mind. It might be, you might have just done three days of a competitor deep dive on a feature product, but their head isn't in that world right now. Um, and, a, and a quick plug, there is um, what, what Clue's working with this competitive revenue analytics to Dylan's point, Gal's point, and how do you actually quickly and accurately show to your executives this is the dollar amount each competitor is costing me. This is our win rate. This is where they show up. And this is the average deal size. And that's the bottom line right there. This is, this is how it's, it's also kind of goes into that. Here's what we will and won't do as well. So we still got so many questions to get to here, but we've hit time. Dylan and Gal, this was so much fun. 
I really appreciate this. Folks in attendance, I think we're going to try and do this on a monthly basis in the community. I like this kind of informal hangout, dropping your questions in here. So if you're into this format, anything you'd like to change, tweak, other topics you'd like us to get into, drop me, Dylan, Gal, a DM. Um, you're both on LinkedIn, correct? Let us, yeah, and let us know because I think this is a great ritual we want to kind of keep doing in the Compete community. Again, this recording will be up on the podcast, on YouTube, and emailed out to you. So thank you so much for the folks that attended. And of course, the stars of the show, Dylan and Gal, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks, right, we'll, Adam. Thank you. We'll catch everyone next month then. This is a thing. The way the market looks today is not how it was yesterday. And spoiler alert, it'll be different tomorrow too. Hi, I'm Devin O'Rourke, founder and managing partner at Fluvio and the host of the Embracing Erosion podcast. On my show, we talk to product marketers, founders, investors, and go-to-market leaders to shine a light on what it takes to tackle difficult go-to-market challenges. How do you make decisions with speed and effectiveness? What makes for a great leader? And what are the most common go-to-market mistakes and how can you avoid them? Embracing erosion means embracing change. And you'll hear from some of the best in the business who know firsthand why embracing erosion is key to success. Join me, Devin O'Rourke, on the Embracing Erosion podcast, powered by the Compete Network.